I actually love the fact that you use the word laggard because I talk about business strategy and sports as a, as a tech technology all the time, like using the technology adoption curve. So using an example in terms of when people like to articulate that, hey, 49ers might be one of the more innovative organizations, Mike, because they were early adopters. It's, it's the learning curve in eight years of being on a business strategy team. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Alomes, and it's great to have you join us for our 52nd episode. That's right, it's been a whole year of Sports Tech Feed, and we really hope that you found it valuable over the course of the year, these 52 episodes, uh, both as a listener, but then more generally at a broad level, where we're hoping that we've in some way advanced the industry forward, even if only marginally. Uh, but our mission when we set out to start Sports Tech Feed, and really part of our mission at Sports Tech World Series, is highlighting the revolutionary impact that technology is having on how sports are played, administered, and consumed around the world, and really tapping the absolute experts all over the world that are working at the coalface of this. So when the San Francisco 49ers got in touch about having their chief strategy officer, Moon Javade, on the show, we thought the 52nd episode would be the perfect occasion. Moon is in his eighth season with the 49ers. In his current role as chief strategy officer, he oversees business intelligence, CRM and fan feedback, manages retail, mobile app and concessionaire relationships, whilst also working on bids for large-scale non-NFL events. In addition to this, he supports the drive for local revenue and aids other business aspects of the organization with strategic and analytical support. Under Moon's guidance, the 49ers built a data warehouse that processes over 3 million records per day and launched the award-winning Executive Huddle, the first real-time analytics control room on NFL game days. Executive Huddle's recent awards of known include being named the leader in innovation by leaders in sports and best venue tech by the stadium business. Moon has also collaborated with Tico Operations to break NFL records for the highest revenue in a regular season game and secured bids for WrestleMania 31 and the Gold Cup Final. Under his leadership, the organization has acquired the Emmy Award-winning high school program, Cal High Sports, and launched a sports medicine facility. Before we get into the main event, which is the interview with Moon, I thought I'd mention a little bit about Sports Tech World Series, where the creators and leaders behind the Sports Tech Feed podcast, but that's only one small part of what we do. So we're the largest global community for sports technology. Uh, so really that focus on sports tech global that's that's where everything um that happens with us uh intersects so looking at the business side looking at the performance side we do that through events content creation consulting advisory and thought leadership so if you do have a company a sports property even a startup or maybe an investment fund in sports tech and you're looking for help and how to navigate this world then feel free to reach out you can contact me on linkedin thomas alomes uh, there's only one of me out there uh, thus far, so I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn, or also thomas at sportsdeckworldseries.com. I'll be back at the end of the interview to share a few final wrap-up thoughts, uh, but let's dive into it. This is the 52nd episode of Sports Tech Feed with Moon Javade. Moon Javade, Chief Strategy Officer of the San Francisco 49ers. Great to have you on Sports Tech Feed. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Very much appreciate you reaching out and look forward to the conversation today. Yeah, definitely. So we're going to fly straight into it. I mean, the 49ers, for anyone who's working in the space, um, I think would agree with me that you've really forged an identity of being a tech forwards, you know, digital data tech, really kind of innovative organization within pro sports. Where does that tech forward thinking come from? Yeah, great question. So, so overall, I think our innovative mindset definitely comes from the top and it comes from Jed York and Al Guido. Um, are the two leaders of our organization. 
I think it's their belief in innovation and analytics that has really pushed us forward. So if we, if we go back, call it eight, eight years ago now, um, you know, Jed York and Prag Marate at the time started our business strategy analytics group. And, you know, a lot of people like to talk about the innovations that we're, we're making today, but there was a lot of groundwork that basically got us to where we are today. So I think that we've been able to, with the, um, with the backing of Jed and Al, really lay in some great processes and great learnings for our BSA team, which, is, which stands for our business strategy analytics team, which primarily handles a lot of the innovation that um, goes on within the organization. So definitely starts with Jed and Al. Obviously being close to Silicon Valley definitely helps. Um, for one, we can always chat with companies that are out here. So we do have um, conversational chats with Google, Facebook, YouTube, you name it. And we're, we're trying to learn from some of their best practices so that we can incorporate them into things that we do uh, internally. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, that's, that's always something uh, interesting to hear, whether that proximity to, I guess, innovation centers, innovation hubs, uh, knowledge centers uh, actually help and are actually used. So, uh, and going specific a little bit more um, around some of the tech innovations that you have pushed forwards with. So recently you've gone fully cashless uh, as a venue at your home ground at Levi Stadium. Um, what was the biggest transition challenge through that process? So great question on cashless. And, you know, we've been looking at cashless for a number of years now. And ultimately, the technology behind cashless is, is not exceptionally challenging in and of itself. It's, it's mostly an operational challenge and operational problem. So um, you, you definitely want to be able to have reverse ATMs. Uh, within your building and that's the biggest piece of technology that you need to really have um, those are important because um, cashless was deemed to be discriminatory in some jurisdictions cities municipalities and in order to ensure that you are not being discriminatory it's really important to have those reverse atms on site um, outside of that you really need to make sure that you can handle whether it's payments through credit card or through a mobile app and so setting up that strategy and then working with our operations team to redefine how we would um, process orders so that we can make them quicker. And, and that's really the biggest benefit of cashless uh, is quicker transaction times, which allow us to get more, serve more customers, especially during those peak periods of halftime and the 15 minutes before the game where, um, you know, we really need to serve food fast. Yeah. I mean, that, that leads on to my next point around uh, frictionless fan experience. So that's considered the, the Holy Grail, the Nirvana, the, the ultimate end stage of, uh, of in-person events and the experience is for a truly frictionless one. Uh, what, I mean, apart from what you've just mentioned there with um, payment processing, what was some of the biggest points of friction currently, what are, sorry, some of the biggest points of friction uh, at a fan journey through Levi Stadium? So, so for us, many of our innovations and really where I started are, are years in the making. So if I look back historically before, before answering the question, we, we, we're launching our member inclusive menu, um, which is effectively offering the majority of our items to our season ticket holders included in the cost of their season ticket. You know, that, that initiative was probably about four or five years in the making. Um, we recently launched the executive, huddles a couple, uh, executive huddle a couple of years back, powered by SAP. And that really took about three to four years in the making. Um, we've launched some gyms and some physical therapy centers. Um, you know, I'll sound like a broken record, but years, years to really push those initiatives forward. So a long-winded way of saying is we've been looking at frictionless already for a couple of years. 
I think with the pandemic and social distancing measures that you're seeing right now and um, maybe a desire to avoid contact with other individuals, we might see that strategy accelerated. And um, when I think about what a frictionless experience means, which is really what you're asking, it's trying to avoid any of those touch points so that you can seamlessly walk through the venue. So things like entering into a parking lot. Do, do we need a parking lot attendant? Um, or can it be done um, in a frictionless way? Entering into our buildings, so ticket scanning, that's another area of, of friction. Can we scan tickets or, or authenticate an individual without using a handheld scanner and, and stopping each individual as they enter into our building? For some of our premium customers, um, and premium customers for pretty much all teams, they have to enter into their clubs or their suites or secure areas. Can we allow those fans and individuals to enter into those areas without talking to an, another individual? And lastly, you know, concessions and retail, those are probably the last two areas. So effectively, anytime you need to open up your wallet or show someone your ticket, I would say are the biggest areas where friction occurs within a stadium. And um, hopefully we can make that experience more frictionless in the future. Yeah, are there any advanced technology you're looking at um, in that in that space? I mean, one a big one that's being talked about a lot is biometrics, um, and certainly something like facial recognition, which is kind of at the pointy end of the stick when it comes to um, that biometric uh, tracking, and obviously all the associated data concerns. People are very concerned about um, having their face tracked, all that kind of stuff, especially in California where there's very stringent um, data protection laws. But is, is that something that you're looking into as a, as a potential future avenue for um, working with technology? Absolutely, great question. And you know, for us, we really want to look at all the different technologies. So if we're evaluating a frictionless experience, we want to know all the different modalities or, or ways that we can make that happen. And there, there are a couple different primary ways. One is looking at something like RFID or the next generation of RFID. And so being able to authenticate through an RFID scanner. Uh, the alternative to that is using cameras and facial recognition. So facial recognition is going to be um, more secure in, in a way of understanding who the actual individual is. Um, also can be more invasive as you're articulating. So for us, it's a question of what information do we need to have and need to retain to really enhance that fan experience. And so biometrics is, it's, it's going really far um, and we could pro provide a really great experience using biometrics. And so it'll just be a trade-off of, you know, do we feel that biometrics are, are the best approach to getting fans into our building seamlessly um, or leveraging another technology? Yeah, and obviously balance with um, the fans' needs or concerns that it could be the most efficient and fantastic frictionless thing, but if it, if it weirds people out and makes them, um, Feel like they're not having a good time big brother watching me all that kind of stuff uh it's not good for the fan experience is it it creates a, a, a bad frictionless fan experience 100 and you know er, earlier this year at our horizon summit which we did virtually which is a conference that we host for uh, really innovation and business strategy within sports we had a speaker that really talked about data rights and so for myself i do believe that you know data rights are your fundamental rights and our goal is absolutely to make sure that we don't store anything or track anything that you know, does not enhance a fan experience. And we are very careful to monitor that line of being um, you know, invasive versus being helpful. And for example, um, an example of that could be beacons within our building. We deployed beacons within our building in 2014. 
and could have tracked individuals all throughout our building. Um, you know, it's pr pr pretty simple um, technology that was leveraged at, at that time, and a lot of companies were, were looking into it. We, we decided not to track uh, the fans within our building, and, and the rationale was, I didn't know that I could do anything to improve their experience. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I can know where you are, but I don't know if I can do anything that will make your experience better. I already understand where you sit based off of where your tickets are, which gives me a good understanding of where you're going to transact with the concessions and a good idea of where you're going to enter into our building. So, you know, that got me 80, 80, 90% of the way there. So tracking the individuals by their, by square foot, you know, was a little bit of overkill in that scenario. And so we'll make sort of the same trade-off decisions with, with biometrics versus um, RFID. I, I, I can't say that we have a decision yet because we don't, because we, we are seriously considering both. Yeah. Do you think that's a, that's a trap that teams or sports properties in general, including um, venues and stadiums, have fallen into with the analytics revolution? It's, it's people getting excited. I can track all this stuff. This is amazing. I can, I can gather all this data. Um, do you think there's, I guess, data fatigue? Is, is so much information, but the ability to make it useful um, is impacted? Absolutely. Yes. And so, you know, our organization, we, we, one of our mantras is be data smart, not data rich. And, you know, Al really one that really articulates that all the time. And as we think about sports and even other industries, we're, we're getting into a stage or an, an era where big data is, you know, more readily available. You can um, analyze information, um, much larger data sets of information, much more efficiently, much more quickly. And you can almost get you know, paralysis by analysis. So for us, if, if, you, if you have the mindset of being data smart versus data rich, and only really looking at things that you can improve. So unless there can be a clear, actionable recommendation or improvement, um, I will tell my team not to look at it because it's, it's not an effective use of our bandwidth. And so um, I think keeping those two mantras in mind are very important because the, the amount of data out there is tremendous. Um, and so the more data you have also, the more expensive it is, the more time consuming it is to get all the feeds working together um, so that you can understand things quickly. So large makes you slower and is more costly as well. I guess that's um, the executive huddle um, kind of comes to that, uh, that point, having actionable real-time insights um, around, around the stadium. Can you, sorry, can you just outline for listeners that don't know what that is, that you mentioned it briefly, um, but yeah. a bit more detail on that. For sure. So the executive huddle is, um, executive huddle powered by SAP is our real-time analytics control room that we leverage on game days. So it's, it's housed in a suite that sits on the 50 yard line and we're pulling in nine different streams of data in real time. It updates every minute um, that can help us understand the patterns that are happening in our building so that we can make improvements. So I've said a lot of words there, so let me break it down you know, very quickly um, in a more tangible example. So we'll pull in ticket scans, concessions, retail um, data, for example, ent entry into our building. So if we are looking at entry into our building and we might notice that there is a peak of people coming in to gate C versus gate A or B where, where people might typically come in, we can reallocate our staff in real time to get to gate C so that the wait times for for our fans stay low. Um, we can also monitor a concession stand. So for a concession stand, we might notice that sales are really low for that game. 
typically it's not because you know sales change that much. It's because a point of sale is down, we're out of food, a cashier is not trained, something's going wrong. So we can identify those issues in real time. And our goal is to really identify, you know, 100 small issues, not one large issue. So it's really about making sure we can make those small changes and tweaks to, to make sure that your um, experience is a little bit better. And I'll carry on for just another second. I apologize for being long-winded here. But if I can tie that to the example of, you know, storing data, we could store data at the individual level, um, you know, in the executive huddle. We do not. We aggregate it in, in real time and only store that information. And that allows us to be quicker. If we were processing all the individual records, we would not be able to operate in real time. And so following on from that, you, you obviously powered by SAP, um, got, to get the, got to get the partners in there. So I understand it's the executive yes. huddle powered by SAP. So apologies for calling it just the executive huddle. Um, but my understanding is that that was that solution or, or the, 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 beginnings of that the seed of that solution was um was found in europe on a trip to europe um a few years back so you obviously mentioned that you proximity to the to the to the valley silicon valley um great hub for ideas and tech um yeah. how else do you do you go about finding you know what's at the cutting edge like how do you what's that kind of discovery process um and maybe talk a little bit about um the executive huddle powered by sap how that came along yeah um so for us, you know, we do a lot of research and we talk to a lot of vendors in the market and vendors are looking to break into the market. Our team probably takes about 100 to 150 calls or pitches a year from vendors. And I'm sure my team doesn't, doesn't love it at all times, um, but I think it's important for us to understand what's going on in the market and see the, see the innovations and trends that some of the technology providers are pushing forward. And then, you know, along coupled with that, it is our, we do what we call benchmark share sessions. So those are the times that we reach out to the companies like Google, Facebook, Amazon, Yahoo, Fandango, Netflix. Um, and we basically meet their business strategy teams and we'll do, we'll do a share with them. And, and for us, that's a great opportunity for our analysts and, and managers and our younger, um, our younger folks within our team to learn and to see what other, other companies and big companies are doing. Um, at the same time, we're always able to have those conversations and any team really could, even if they're not in Silicon Valley, because it's the power of your sports brand. If, if I call, you know, Netflix analytics team and say, hey, do you, do you want to chat with our 49ers team? And um, they're, they're always going to say, yeah, I mean, they always have said yes. So it's, it's a really, it's a really, um, it's time consuming, but it's a really great way to stay on top of the market and everything that's, that, that's going on. Um, you, you learn a little bit at conferences, you know, by going to the conferences and seeing the um, trade boots. But for me, it's been a lot of those vendor pitches that have been really important for us staying on top. And then it's, it's I guess, ha having the courage or conviction to move forward on them. So yeah. lots of people have ideas. And so you are right, the executive huddle, it was something that we were pushing on or, or thinking about internally. And the actual original concept or thought came from Gatorade and Gatorade's mission control that they had launched in 2012. And so that had sort of been in the back of our minds. And then we saw what SAP was doing in, um, in Germany and in a more applicable way. So what Gatorade was doing was very cool, but could it be applied to what we were doing for teams? And then was able to see that it could be with SAP's product. And then, you know, marriage was born there. And we were, we were very excited about that. And I think the, 
you know, Dan Gilbert, who's the owner of the Cavs, has this saying that's called take the roast out of the oven. And so we can have great ideas and we can connect the dots between, hey, Gatorade Mission Control and an SAP, but then you have to go about and go the process about selling that internally and getting people to say yes to you being able to do that. And so being that internal seller of your, of your projects and initiatives are, are important um, to yep. get them across the finish line. I love that saying, take the roast out of the oven. That's, that's, that's great. That's, it's also a much more um, business friendly version of uh, some other sayings I've heard that, that, yeah, but that's, yeah. that's fantastic. And we actually spoke to someone from the um, cabs uh, mousetrap team, their internal um, business yeah. intelligence innovation team about that process of internal in innovation, as you yeah. said, getting buy-in and, and kind of cycling it through the organization. So that's um, definitely something that we'd echo there. You mentioned, so in the Valley, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, um, uh, Google, uh, Apple as well there, of course. Um, so the FANGs uh, just is a stand-in for big tech in general. Is that something that you think sports can be a little bit afraid of approaching the FANGs or, or kind of don't know how to work that relationship? That's just... Just thinking about, we just had a, a, a guest on a few weeks ago, Nick Meacham from Sports Row Media. We talked about that, how the fangs are moving into sports, especially around um, e-commerce plays, rights deals, all that kind of stuff that for a long time, big tech was held as the great white hope of sports. They're going to come in, they're going to pump huge, obscene amounts of money into it. And that's great. And then that didn't eventuate. And now there's this kind of um, interesting dynamic where it's their partners, but are they going to be competitors as well? Do you think that exists in sports in general? And, and, and if so, are you immune from it because you are in close proximity to them? Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely want to share as much as we possibly could with, with the companies that, that you articulated and learn from them. And, you know, I think they could learn also from us as well. When you have an industry like sports where it's really the last community centric focused events like when does a city get together or community get together um we, we talk about the viewership numbers of nfl and other sports and the nfl still commands i think 90 of the top 100 watch television programs a year um, if you look at the most trafficked websites they're sports organizations sports teams um, so when you have that many eyeballs and you have and you have this amount of dollars um in, in an industry, there's always going to be an interest for some of those big guys to break in, um, whether it's a brand play or whether it's a dollar play. And so for me, like it's, it's a balance. So sometimes you're going to want to embrace that change because um, those companies can do great things and innovative things. And like you said, they have massive amounts of dollars. Like in a smaller anecdote, without SAP, we would not have been able to do the executive huddle. They had massive amount of weight that, that allowed us to get the things that we needed to get done, done. Um, we didn't have that amount of weight that they did. And so big organizations can get things done. And like you said, they can throw big dollars at it. And so if someone's throwing a hundred million dollars at a problem, someone's throwing a million dollars at a problem, I'm pretty sure the hundred million dollar, hundred million dollars is going to win in most cases. Um, you know, at the same time, not every instance is going to work of one of those companies trying to break into sports. So they have to be thoughtful and, um, you know, be collaborative or, or partner with sports teams because it is, it, it is a nuanced industry. Mm. Uh, and so I, I think both sides can't be, you know, foolish about the other side's value if, if they want to move forward together. 
Yeah, it's blending that um, the art and science of sport in the sense of the science, the analytics, the data, and then the art of just the fan, just the irrational beast that is fandom um, and that, that fan that sits in all of us. So yeah. I've got to come to the inevitable COVID-19 question. We, we started off the first half of the year, that's all we talked about. Now we're kind of weaning ourselves off it, um, looking forward to 2021 and hopefully um, some sort of resumption of, of the new normal or, or whatever yeah. you want to call it. But how has the pandemic changed your roadmap for new technology projects? So both in the implementation and the scouting phase, did you accelerate projects? Did you shelve them? Did you start to look for completely new solutions? How, how has that looked through 2020? Yes, yes, and yes. Um, yeah, so that's the answer. That's it. We'll cut. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a nuanced answer is certain initiatives got, got shelved, you know, and as we think about this being a tough time, not only from a budget perspective, hey, without fans in buildings, teams are making a considerable amount less, so budgets could be tighter. Um, from a people perspective as well, not only thinking about, um, you know, some teams are going to be operating with tighter, um, you know, less personnel that they were before, but as we think about the state of mind of, of the personnel, I mean, just not even taking sports into consideration, taking into consideration every year as person, like they're not operating at the, anywhere, anywhere in the world, people aren't operating at their best right now. Um, it's been a tough year all across the board. So with tighter budgets and with people maybe not um, operating at peak capacity, um, some, some ideas are going to get shelved for sure. And then technologies I think that are really going to help um, with some of the pandemic re related concerns or social distancing, as you mentioned frictionless earlier, you know, that's, that's one that might get accelerated um, because there'll be a tangible benefit to um, fans from what we're seeing today with the pandemic happening. So definitely some will get accelerated, probably more than not, um, I'd say projects in the industry will get shelled um, because of the budget and personnel challenges this year. Yeah, that's, that's interesting to hear because I think it's, um, there's been a mixture between organizations that some have, have rapidly accelerated um, things because they need the efficiencies so desperately from the technology. And I would yeah. say it's some of those organizations that probably aren't as tech forward. Um, I don't want to call them laggards, um, but, but the ones that have, have always considered some of this as nice to haves and now it's a must have. Um, whereas one of some of the kind of tech forward ones that already were looking at these or piloting or trialing them can either yeah. rapidly introduce them um, yeah. or just hit pause because they know it's there when things resume. 100%. And I, I actually love the, the fact that you use the word laggard because I talk about business strategy in sports as a, as a tech technology all the time, like using the technology adoption curve. So using an example in terms of when people like to articulate that, hey, 49ers might be one of the more innovative organizations, might like because they were early adopters. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's the learning curve in eight years of being on a business strategy team versus, you know, teams just starting a business strategy team today or, or last year or, or the year before. Um, you know, adopting business strategy and analytics is, is like adopting a technology. And so there's going to be some companies, teams that are those early adopters and early innovators and early majority. And then you get into the late majority. And I've talked about this for years. And I, each, each kind of year, I give an update on where I think we are in sort of the BSA world. And I think we're in the late majority now. Um, if I go back 10 years ago, I think less than 20% of teams had a single business strategy individual in their organization less than 20%. And today we're sitting at, I think closer to 75 to 80% of organizations have an individual, maybe even more than that this year, um, with the average being about six. 
So you went from basically it being like between zero and one of an average to six, and that's in 10 years. So like if you look at the growth of business strategy and the adoption of it, um, it's definitely growing. Yeah, well, that's, that's great to hear. And I guess that follows on to my next question, which is about those people at the, those organizations at the, the very um, front of that curve, um, you know, the, the people that are really at the, the bleeding edge, the leading edge. Yeah. What have, what have been um, the most innovative use cases, applications of technology, data, digital, everything we've been talking about so far in sports that you've seen this year? Feel free to, to blow your own trumpet and say what the 49s do. But in addition to yourself, I'd love to hear one um, from further afield, either globally or, or within the NFL um, in general. Yeah. So I, I get asked this question a ton. And throughout the years, I, I, always, try, I always try and give like a, a real, real response, which I think some people might find mundane. Like if I go back years ago, people always wanted to talk to me about AR and VR. And I was like, no, let's focus on the basics. So, you know, if we're just talking about that uh, business strategy as an adoption curve, we need to get the basics across the industry down. So being able to build your data warehouse and your CRM. So I get more excited when I see teams build their data warehouse and CRM because now I'm like, they can block and tackle and, and really start to, you know, um, innovate for, for their teams and help propel their teams forward. So for me, it's, it's a lot of those um, innovations that are happening. And it's not really innovation, but it's just growth of teams. And I, I do love to encourage everyone to just focus on the basics at first. Until you have the basics and you, you have the data warehouse in place and the CRM in place and, you know, an infrastructure and team. Like once you have all that in place, the innovations become a lot easier to, to build off of. You can't go from zero to 100, you know, overnight. Um, if, I, if I was forced to talk about some of the technology innovations I like this year, I'll still you, probably you are you are being forced. That is yeah, <laughs> awesome. I'll still probably stick with some of the ones that maybe aren't so shocking, but I really enjoyed the NFL draft. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed seeing Roger Goodell in his basement. It was really one of the first instances of sports this year after the pandemic closed. Um, you know, because the NBA season has, hadn't restarted, and so. It was, for me, it was like a little bit of take of how things could be in the future. And it was the first step. And I thought that was very cool. I, I absolutely loved what the NBA did with their fan boards um, and their interaction. And, you know, I thought making that bubble experience more, view, more watchable on TV. And, and if you watched, they learned, which I loved. They learned and they iterated. So, like, the viewing experience from game one in the bubble was very different from the viewing experience by the time we got to the NBA Finals. And a lot of digital and, and tech involved in, in that. Um, I'll, throw, I'll throw a shout out to the, the, the basketball tournament, which I don't know if many people know was, I think, the first sports that were played this year. And it was in a bubble. And they got through the whole tournament without, I think, a single COVID test, uh, a COVID positive test, and ran that tournament. So not, ne not necessarily a technology. But if, you, if we think that the first sports that was played, and it was a, a million-dollar purse prize for the for the basketball tournament, um, and it was probably from a league that none of us would have expected or, or, or thought. So I thought that was pretty cool as well. Cool. Well, I mean, we I'll put in the show notes some of those highlights in terms of the NFL draft and then also on the NBA bubble because um, we actually uh, interviewed Tim Tobito, who is director of event presentation for the NFL, and he was actually in Goodell's basement. Um, Helping with that, it's so interesting because he did. Um, he's responsible for the all the augmented reality, AR, VR stuff at the at the Super Bowl. 
So on that side, super tech heavy, and then he's in Goodell's basement um, connecting monitors and, and running this virtual draft. So it's, it's really interesting um, that how that, that's implemented. That was a great chat. We also um, chatted with uh, Mike Downey from Microsoft um, yeah. about their MBA partnership and obviously they use Microsoft Teams and a whole bunch of other stuff yeah. to, to make those fan boards happen. So um, that's a few other episodes I'll, I'll do shout outs for. Moon, uh, fantastic chat to you. Really enjoyed it and covered a lot of ground. And, and before we go, I've got one final question for you, which is what is your favourite sporting moment of all time? Oh, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with... Can I, can I go with three? Can I give you three? Can I give you a top you three? Do it. You can do a podium. I guess did that last week as well. So, All yeah. right. So I'll do the podium. Oh, that's great. Um, so number three, I'm going to have to go with Landon Donovan netting a goal um, in the 2010 World Cup in the 91st minute in the, in the third game that pushed the USA forward to the round of 16. And I believe it was Algeria. And it was like it was it was absolutely mayhem and I was there um so that was just a tremendous amount of fun and you know celebrating as a as a country you know so that was a very very fun experience um I'd say second would be um I'm from Cleveland so I'm gonna go with LeBron's block in 2016 uh Andre Iguodala um which uh it was pro my, my wife my wife says it was the happiest day of my life. I, I say <laughs> the happiest day of my life was the day I got married. That's the second happiest day, but, you know, a story for another day. And she won't be listening. You can, you can say it with your happiest. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, at the top of the podium, even though we were not able to, you know, finish the deal a couple weeks later, congrats to the Kansas City Chiefs, but was the NFC Championship game um, last season for me. And just, it was a, it was a special season for us. Um, and being down there in the field where you've just clinched the NFC Championship and you're very hopeful and you, you know you have the next two weeks in front of you to look forward to. It was just a very, a very joyous moment. No other way to say it. Fantastic. Well, I'll include um, some video to all three of those on the show notes so people can relive and enjoy them. And I'm sure um, your, your silver medal, your second one, doesn't make you particularly popular with some, <laughs> some of the locals where you are. That's but, but you but you've redeemed yourself with the um with the 49ers win. So Yes. That right. one took a spot, so Yeah. Well thank you so much, Moon. Um fantastic to to chat to you today and, and looking forward to keeping an eye on what uh, the 49ers are doing into the future. Absolutely. Thanks for having me and have a great one. There you have it. That was Moon Javade, Chief Strategy Officer for the San Francisco 49ers. A incredibly tech forward uh, team, uh, especially in the context of the NFL. I mean, the one of the most important leagues um, globally. So it's really interesting to see what they're doing uh, and across different areas as well. Minority stakes in, in Leeds United, things they're doing um, with their their various venture arms, things like that. So they're a fascinating uh, organization to watch, uh, both for what they do internally in terms of innovation and then kind of how that seeps out into the industry, I would say. So really happy to chat with Moon about a whole whole range of things. And um, it's probably one of the longer interviews we've had recently, but I think it, it touches on some pretty important points. As always, you can go to sportstechfeed.com for show notes. I uh, include a few links to some of the things that uh, we both talked about today. If you do have feedback or maybe some uh, questions that you need help with uh, in the industry, then feel free to get in touch with me, thomas at sportstechworldseries.com. You can also contact me on LinkedIn, Thomas Loams, uh, and find me there. And happy to chat and kind of explore how we can help because that's where we, we came from 52 weeks ago was looking at, well, how can we add a resource into the industry that 
is actually meaningful, it's impactful, and I feel like we've achieved that with Sports Tech Feed, and certainly that's the, the feedback that we get from listeners. So thanks for listening and looking forward to seeing you over the next 52 weeks of Sports Tech Feed.